we're very excited uh, to be uh, joined shortly by Assemblyman uh, uh, Zoran Mamdani, elected to the Assembly two years ago, uh, one of eight Democratic Socialists who will be serving in the state legislature uh, starting in January. Uh, there have been six of them. They added two more to their ranks. So there'll be eight starting in January. And we're not only, you know, interested to hear from Zoran about uh, the fight he's leading against the Con Ed rate hikes and and for uh, the Build Public Renewables Act, which would massively expand uh, renewable energy sources here in New York and kind of get, try to get us out of this uh, loop of being dependent on fossil fuels and, and all their volatile price hikes. But, uh, I think Zoran and, and some of his, uh, uh colleagues have, you know, have really, uh, you know, tried to establish, uh, a, a sort of a different way of being a, a public official, being much more engaged with the public, trying to, uh, really empower and, and lift up the voices of constituents and, uh, and, and, and not only fighting the good fight for the right issues, but, uh, you know, really trying to em- empower people in a different way, um, which, you know, obviously, uh, legislative politics tends to become an insider's game sometimes, but I, I, I know Zoran has certainly uh, tried to break out of that mold. Uh, uh, Zoran, are you there with us? I am. I am here with you. All right. Well, thank you uh, for uh, rejoining us. Sorry about that uh, technical uh, uh, storm we had at the beginning of the show, but you know uh, we, we're we're bouncing back here, and um, so. Again, welcome uh, to uh, WBI. We had uh, so first of all, we, we were hoping to talk with you about a lot of things today. We'll have to compress it a little bit. But uh, regarding Con Ed, can you uh, talk about just describe the the, the size of the rate hikes they're seeking uh, to uh, impose uh, starting in January of 2023, and why you had this people's hearing in Astoria last night? Absolutely. Well, um, I am always happy to talk about Con Ed. Uh, Con Ed is seeking a rate increase that could cost New Yorkers close to $60 a month in additional charges across gas and electric. And this is part of a rate case, which is something that takes place around every three years, where Con Ed submits a proposal for how they would like to increase delivery charges and the state, specifically Kathy Hochul's Public Service Commission, then decides whether they want to accept, modify, or reject those uh, th- those requests and that proposal at large. And so I have been uh, a party in that negotiations, uh, in that set of negotiations that have been taking place over the last many months. Um, the content of the negotiations is confidential, but I... Uh, I can very easily tell you that everything that I've been saying inside has been everything that I've been saying outside, which is that this rate request needs to be rejected, that the Con Ed's rates as they are today are already too expensive for working class New Yorkers to continue to afford to live in our city, and that this is an economic system that privileges profit over people. And the larger fight here is not simply just defeating this rate request, but also moving away from Con Ed and corporate private regulated monopolies with regulated being a very loose term, I would say, with regards to Con Ed and towards something um, that is predicated upon public power, public ownership, democratic control of public utilities. Um, and then to your second question of why did we have a hearing yesterday? We had a hearing yesterday because myself and Senator Gianaris wrote a letter. Uh, we were joined by more than 50 of our 
elected colleagues asking the Public Service Commission to host an additional hearing on this rate request, given that they had only held hearings um, over the course of March, when most New Yorkers had no idea about this, and most New Yorkers continue to have no idea about this process. So we asked for this additional hearing. We received a receipt of acknowledgement of our letter, but no official answer. And it has become clear to us that there is no interest in hosting an additional hearing. And so we've decided to simply do it ourselves. And that's what we did last night. We had more than 50 um, Astorians join us and testify. And we received 37 additional testimonies from Astorians as to their thoughts on the Con Ed rate request. It was a unanimous call for the state to reject this rate request. And we have now. No one was asking for higher uh, rates. No, no one was asking for higher rates. And now with that 37, we have now uh, hit more than 500 uh, public testimonies being submitted from our neighborhood alone. Right. And we actually have some audio um, from the hearing last night. We have two speakers. First, we're going to hear from Jerry Muhammad and then Miles Grant. They both came up and gave their testimonies. Um, let's go to those sound clips now. But what really gets me about all this is why we even have Con Edison to begin with. I don't understand who this is for. None of us want this. I think that the term regulated monopoly is no one has heard that since the 1930s. I don't understand who the system is for or why we have it. Um, no one wants this. This is not this is not useful to anybody. And no one, if they could pick the way that electricity is delivered to them, would pick a regulated monopoly, some company, to profit off of electricity. Because again, everyone is using electricity. It's not like an option that you can choose to use Con Ed or not. Everyone's using it. Why is it a regulated monopoly? Uh, and I think that's a huge part of this. Uh, you know, someone, the last person to speak was saying, oh, you know, they need to make profits and they have shareholders. Why? Why does electricity delivery have to have shareholders? I don't think that makes any sense. I think that's a huge part of this because we can defeat a fair, and not fair, the service charge increase today, but they're just going to come back when they need more money, or they want to build something else, or they want to pay off some other person that's part of their company. Uh, the, the, the problem here is that it's a company delivering a public good. Uh, that's not how it's supposed to work. So that was actually Jerry Muhammad, but now we're going to Miles Grant. No, that was Miles okay. Grant. Sorry, that was Miles Grant. Pardon me. Now we're going to Jerry Muhammad, second testimony. Well, maybe we're not going to hear from Jerry Muhammad. If we don't hear from Jerry Muhammad, Jerry Muhammad. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting in. I'm getting it. Okay, great. Well, um, it's really interesting to be able to hear from, you know, uh, people who are experiencing this on different levels um, and who are already experiencing rate hikes. Uh, we already had rate hikes last year with Con Ed, right? Uh, born and raised in Queens. To here we go. Astoria for a bit. I sit on Queens Community Board One, and I'm here to testify that these hikes by Con Edison are really unacceptable. CB One, this area is like 45% very low to low income. We, you know, people are struggling to afford this to live and survive here to begin with. We really need public power, public energy, like. You know, my bills this summer were like $200, $300, you know, like, you know, apartments have insufficient heat, people have to use heat, electric heat to survive, you know, people are running out of gas, like, there's a lot of issues in Astoria, and really it's not acceptable for these hikes, you know, it's not affordable, we should not be funding profits of a monopolized private electric company at the expense of our constituents, and Park's proposal includes $70.4 million to extend the life of Astoria liquefied natural gas, and 49, sorry, $47.9 million for the Queens Transmission Pipeline Expansion, like, 
Like, that's not where our tax dollars should be going. You know, like, we need public power. This is not compliant with state laws. It's not compliant with the CLCPCA. And, yeah, I oppose these hikes, and I hope that everyone here will continue to oppose it and that our voices will be heard. Thank you. All right, so that was Jerry Muhammad, um, who was also uh, testifying at um, the hearing on Con Ed rate hikes uh, that you held last night, Soren. So, um, uh, uh, what's your reaction to what those people had to say? And, and, you know, what's your comment, particularly on Miles Grant's question of why, why do we have a monopoly and why do we need to have a uh, public utilities period? I think these are great points and it is, um, it's a really exciting moment because so often when I'm in Albany or I am moving around New York City, um, performing different functions of, of being the assembly member from Astoria, people try and write off the views that I have as being specific and individual to me. And in moments such as last night, when we have a public hearing, you can see that this criticism of a corporate monopoly of, of a regulated monopoly with regulated in, in, in quotes, you can see that this is something that is deeply felt across my neighborhood. This is not some idea that I alone hold and have come up with. Um, this is purely representative of what people think and how people feel in Astoria around Con Ed. And to the question of why do we have this? We have this because people with power have decided that this is a sufficient and a fine way to distribute our energy. And one thing that I made clear time and time again last night throughout our hearing was that this fighting this rate hike is the first step and the long term is to fight Con Ed's monopoly of the energy system such that we never have to fight against any rate hikes in the future. Because this whole system, as was put so well in the first testimony, it makes no sense. Why does a public good need to be run by a private company who are ultimately accountable to their shareholders and who thus have portions of rate cases determined by the return on equity that they need to deliver back to those who are investing in their company. All of these things create unnecessary costs that then, and it is not hyperbolic to say that these kinds of costs kill New Yorkers. People are on the brink of what they can afford here in our city and there are so many who have medical conditions such that if it gets too hot, their asthma may work up, but they can't even afford to put the AC on because of how much it costs. So this is what we're talking about. These are the consequences and the stakes that are at hand when we're talking about Con Ed and, and the distribution of our energy. Right. And uh, what what are the prospects uh, for the Build Public Renewables Act in Albany in 2023? And uh, for Governor Kathy Hochul, who uh, won a narrow re-election uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, what uh, political gain could there be from uh, supporting uh, public power over uh, corporate monopoly? I think that there, you know, I would disentangle Governor Hochul's close victory with with the prospects of any climate related legislation, because I think a more accurate measure of how ready New Yorkers are to take decisive action on climate can be found in the percentage of New Yorkers that voted for spending more than $4 billion on the climate, the Environmental Bond Act. Um, and that was, I think, north of 67, 68% of New Yorkers voted for that. And to me, that shows that there's a greater constituency for urgent and immediate action on climate than there is for any one party. 
And I am a socialist. I'm a proud uh, card-carrying member of, of the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. But I can tell you there are people in my neighborhood who have political opinions across the entire ideological spectrum. And one of the few things that unites all of them is a deep hatred of Con Ed. And so taking action on Con Ed in the form of rejecting this rate increase, taking action on private control of renewable generation in the form of the Build Public Renewables Act, these are things that would have far broader constituencies than just the left flank of the Democratic Party. These are things that would be supported by ordinary New Yorkers across the state. And I can give you an anecdotal example to support that, which is that last night at the hearing, a man came up, testified, an older gentleman, spoke about how Con Ed's prices were forcing him to think about leaving New York City because he could not afford to pay his bills. And he came up to me at the end of the hearing and he said, I'm a stone cold Republican, but I agree with what you're doing on this. People cannot afford this. That is the truth of how desperately people need this and where their ideology is and how they are willing to see a future of public energy, no matter what party they subscribe to today. And why would public renewables be better? I think for, for many reasons. One is you take out the profit incentive. Therefore, you take out such a large part of the cost. Right. So much of the language that Con Ed uses today is around these investments are necessary for safety, for maintenance, um, for infrastructure improvements. But the truth is so much of the time that is language that is being used to mask the ability to extract further profits to deliver back to shareholders. If you had a publicly run energy system, publicly run delivery system for energy, you would find far lower costs in that there would be no necessity of turning a profit because the thing of paramount importance would be serving New Yorkers, not extracting profit from New Yorkers. And wind and solar can make up the difference. Yes, I mean, I, I think that that gets into the question of the sourcing of uh-huh of these energy systems. And that is also inextricable from this because of the fact that Con Ed is delivering dirty energy to New Yorkers and Con Ed is seeking hundreds of millions of dollars to further invest into fossil fuel. And what we are fighting for is a very different vision. And we're fighting for that here in Astoria where we're on the front lines of the climate crisis and in the Build Public Renewables Act, one of the three most critical things that that piece of legislation does is that it ensures that we live up to the language of the Climate Leadership and Protection Act, the CLCPA that we passed in 2019. It ensures that we actually hit the goal from that bill of a 70% renewable grid by 2030. It mandates the state transform all of its existing renewable generation in, sorry, a fossil fuel generation into renewable. And the third thing is that it permits the state to sell cut-price electricity directly to low- to moderate-income New Yorkers, which are about a million people. Right. And and while we still have a, a few minutes here, I want to pivot a little bit just to ask you, you know, more broadly uh, about being a socialist representative uh, in Albany. Uh, what, what have you uh, learned from your experience that uh, maybe you didn't anticipate? And, and uh, what kind of impact do you think you – and your other uh, socialist colleagues are, are having there? Things that I did not anticipate. Um, I think it's one thing to expect 
to have certain expectations around Albany. It's another thing to live through those expectations in the fullness of reality. And what I mean by that is none of us were naive in our understandings of how power functions and operates, but to see it up close and to understand just how undemocratic the process can be at times, small d democratic, um, to see just how large the obstacles are that we have in front of us. It can be intimidating, but for me, over the course of my first term, I have never lost belief as to the utility of the project that we are a part of. And that is a project to return New York state government back to serving the working class of the state, as opposed to the current interests, which dominate so much of our legislative decision-making, those interests being classes of capital, corporate classes. Um, I would say that, you know, the impact that we have made in, in our two years, there are a number of things that I am so, so proud of. We led the fight to tax the rich in 2021. We won more than $4 billion in new revenue by taxing the ultra wealthy of New York. And that is money that was returned back to working class New Yorkers through spending on public goods such as education. Um, you know, Marcella Matanis, my colleague, was instrumental in the fight to establish a first in the nation uh, to that scale fund for excluded workers, more than $2 billion to provide what is what is in essence an unemployment fund for undocumented New Yorkers. Um, my colleague Farah Soufrant Forrest had a piece of legislation called Less is More that she had her legislation pass both houses and, and be signed by the governor, which let, you know, uh, more than 190 New Yorkers who were stuck in pre in 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 jail and prisons around parole violations who let them come home to their families and and live a safer fuller life than the ones that they were living. I mean, I can go on one by one by one. Sure. Uh, but there are so many things that I am proud of personally. You know, in my two years in in Albany, those have also been two years where I've been here in Astoria, functioning as an elected representative for my neighborhood. And in that time, um, I led the fight on the elected side to defeat a fracked gas proposal by the nation's eighth largest carbon emitter, NRG, um, a, a fight that was spearheaded by the eco-socialist working group, one where we defeated NRG and then actually won um, that site now to be used as a site of interconnection for offshore wind. And then on the other side, I'm really proud to have led the fight on the elected side around um, the erasing of more than $250 million of debt from the backs of working class taxi drivers, uh, which was part of a many, many month long struggle with the New York Taxi Workers Alliance, an intrepid and inspiring union that has been working on this for decades. And now we have finally seen some real substantive relief. And all of these examples I'm giving, this is the last two years. I think that there is many more things to be won, given that the fact that we continue to live in a capitalist system, there will always be more ways to stand in solidarity with workers and the working class. Right. And I think an integral part of doing the kind of work you're doing is being, um, while holding a seat in office, also staying in the community. So can you talk about the relationship between being um, an organizer and an elected official? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that... Um, no matter how highly any of us think of elected officials, we must understand that all of them, myself included, when we go to the seats of power, we then operate within those structural constraints. And if left to simply understand that as our world and our influence, we will become 
a very different creature than that which we were when we ran for office, because that is the nature of structural power and influence. And the reason that I can still look at myself in the mirror and be proud of what I'm fighting for and who I am in this moment is because of the fact that I am connected to a mass movement organization such as DSA. Uh, obviously, DSA does not have a monopoly on being a mass movement organization. There are others. But for me, this is an organization that has ensured that as I continue to fight in Albany and here in Astoria, that I can not only be accountable to my neighbors, because that's who DSA members are in Astoria, uh, but also to organize and make decisions alongside them. Because the idea of accountability as only, you know, if you make a mistake, I think it sets you up for failure. What it really needs to be is to always have a sense of coherence, coordination, um, and, and a unified understanding of the way that we move. And that's really what DSA has provided me with over these two years and the many years prior that I was a part of the organization in a different capacity. So I think that, you know, no matter who you are, you can never trust that you will come out the way you go in, in terms of elected office. And I think it's the, the role of, of mass movement organizations to understand that, to, to support elected officials that come out of their organizations, but also very importantly, to continue to ensure that the organization is the one that is still there, prominent and part in partnership in figuring out how to move in this world and ensuring that the work of the elected continues to be in line with the goals of the movement. Right. And, and quick, um, quickly here in our sort of la- last minute for you to, for you to answer, um, the goal, we know that you have some stipulations too, to continue to be a DSA backed candidate. So the DSA, um, you know, basically aims to work towards socialism, both from within the system of electoral and legislative politics and then from without it, from outside of it. Um, um, and this can seem contradictory when we think, about sort of the the founding of the system of electoral politics going so hand in hand with private property and then socialist systems aiming to greatly diminish that. So could you just clear up for maybe some of our listeners what the end goal of having those simultaneously inside outside approaches is? I think for me, it, the, the, the goal is to have an impact on the life of working class New Yorkers. And I my personal belief is that wherever there is power, we must contest it. Power exists within the state, we must contest it. Power exists within the economy outside of the state, we must contest it. And we cannot subscribe to simply one way. Wherever it may be, that is where we must be in struggle. And so for me, yes, my primary path is inside the state as an elected official, but I'm so proud to be part of an organization that is simultaneously doing a serious and substantial amount of work aimed more exclusively towards you know, ensuring that we continue to fight for more union density, fighting for the, you know, um, right here in Astoria, we have an example of a couple of new union um, locations in, in our Starbucks workers on Dipmar's um, Boulevard and um, on, on Astoria Boulevard. And so much of our work in Queens DSA, that the branch of New York City DSA that I'm a part of, is how do we mobilize and organize to ensure that we are showing up in real solidarity physical presence for these new unions. And I think that that speaks to, you know, is that a bill? No. Is that technically, you know, the relationship between the state? No, it's actually more between workers and this company. But this is where we can also intervene to make working class New Yorkers understand capitalism is failing you. Socialism is the political ideology that can deliver you dignity. 
And we have to make that real and make that understood and make that felt um, everywhere that we can. So that's that's my vision about why to be in, in, within the state, um, even as we have immense contradictions in that battle and that fight. Right. Well, we know you'll uh, be continuing to fight those uh, battles. Uh, Zoran Mamdani, Assembly Member from District 36 in Astoria. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on WBAI Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Definitely. And we come back after this short break. We'll uh, talk with someone who is uh, contesting capitalism, uh, Aaron uh, Naraf Fernando, a uh, uh, housing uh, uh, activist. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the recent victory in Kingston, New York, for a 15% rent rollback in that city.